Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, here with my partners in crime, Chris Legg and Chris Sherrod. How are you doing, guys? Great. Very well. Good. Nice, nice one shot. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, I mess up on that. It's good. <laughs> that oh, man. Well, we're sitting here. It's, uh, it's Thanksgiving week when yep. we're recording this. Um, and we, we've been talking a little bit about this. We don't have, we don't do a ton of preparation on the front end. Thankfully you guys have, uh, a lot of preparation that you have done over the years that you can draw on. Um, and so Chris Sherrod kind of brought it to our attention of kind of starting a new series, um, under reconstructed faith. So I'm going to throw it over to him and Chris, you can kind of start our conversation off today. Yeah. I think the title we had landed on was the beauty and the tragedy of the church. Mm-hmm. And so many times when you hear people talk about why you left the church or what, even what do you think about those Christians? It's there's so many hypocrites uh, in the church, and and I think that is a a big thing we need to address. First of all, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? But then also, mm-hmm. why we need the church and why we need community and how the solution for a lot of the struggles that we're talking about is gonna be surrounding yourself in with good Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of the, can I say living in the tension, not, not balance? Yep. That's, can I say living, living in, in the, the tension, tension is great. That's great. Okay. That's great. <laughs> we have to beep you out this time. Okay, yeah, good. There you go. Um, but so you, so living in the tension. Of, well, and with all of this, that what do you mean by hypocrite? Are you a hypocrite when you sin or... What does it actually mean? What did Jesus have to say about it? Right. And then why do we need the church? And again, a lot of people get frustrated and they they might church hop or go to all these, uh, trying to find the perfect church, which you won't. Right. You can find a great church, but right. you're not going to find the perfect church this side of heaven because then if you join it. I was going to say, if that's it, exactly if it was what perfect, I've heard. You better not join it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and my analogy had been, which I had to clarify, the village movie, not mm-hmm. the church, the village, how... The whole movie is based on this idea, like, let's get away from all this evil and stuff out there and death and mean, bad mm-hmm. stuff and start our own little, and then you discover it's actually us. Like, we're, we yep. brought it with us. As long as we're there, mm-hmm. it's going to be, there's going to be bad aspects to it. So let's start with, because I want to, let's end with the positives. So let's okay. start with some did of we, the... Did we define the church in our definition series, which is, I know is ongoing and running in the background We'll be defining terms all along. Yeah. No, but I think that would probably be valuable. I think it would be valuable. Can we go ahead and sure. talk yeah. about that? And I guess because, and I think it's valuable too because we use it interchangeably. Yeah. But it can we can mean our local church, right? Or the universal, quote the unquote, universal church. That's right. Church. I grew up. Okay. Simple. I grew up overseas in in Southern Africa. The universal church was a, a church, denomination. and it oh. was it was very much. Like they they made you uh, tithe half of your income and stuff like that, Ooh. and so it was like hearing the universal church for a long time was like oh, so we don't we don't mean that. If yeah. anybody's hearing that, we mean the capital C church across right. the world. That's right. But I know we'll time and space. You yes. actually the one of the great ways to divide up 
the idea is the visible church versus the invisible church. Mm-hmm. So the visible church would be all those people who claim Christ, um, and the invisible church is all those who are authentically believers. Mm-hmm. So people who claim Christ can be con artists um, or can be radically ignorant or can be just horrible people who who are either authentic or not in the way they claim Christ, and we can't ever know that. That's one of the difficulties, honestly, of of judging Christians is that who you're judging are people who are claiming to be Christians, yep. and very many of them may not be. Um, they may think of themselves as Christians because their definition of Christian is wrong. We defined that in an earlier one, but they are not following Christ. Their life is not um, about him, mm-hmm. but that's... Well, it's, it's interesting you say church, that. Yeah. That uh, so Paul McKenzie was preaching this this Sunday. Did you mm-hmm. listen to the sermon yesterday? I was there. Oh, oh no, no, I listened to it. You're right. Okay, I was, yeah, I was not. And there. so he mentioned how like several church leaders, and without within church history, right, came to faith reading Psalm one thirty, but a lot, several of them it was after they had been in ministry right, preaching. Yeah. for that long. And so that's an it's an interesting point to what you're saying. That's right. But yeah, sorry. So you were you were talking about church. No, that's that's right on. And the idea of the church, capital T, capital C, meaning the invisible church, those who indwelt with the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, following Christ, chosen by him. Like that's a that's a pretty significant concept. But what we mean is the church, the bride of Christ, his light in the world, the combination of all the individual Christians. And whether they're attending a church or not, they are the church. And that's actually one of the... I went through a period of time of being frustrated with Christian publishing because they they were allowing people to reference the church as an independent concept. I don't know if you guys remember, but and I, I won't drop names, but there was, there was some books that came out about, you know, the church needs to be doing more of... You know, I, I went, they would, it was very self, like I went overseas to the untouchable people in India and was serving them and ministering to them with a whole bunch of my friends. And, and, you know, I feel like there wasn't enough presence of the church. The church wasn't there. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, I thought, I thought you yeah. were, you were the church, right? I mean, right. I think the church is there. If you're there, are you dividing yourself out going like, like, listen, I'm, I'm in, de- I'm independent of the church and I'm doing it right. And if you're independent of the church, you're not doing it right by definition mm-hmm. as a Christ follower. But that's probably semantics. But that's when we talk about the church, we don't mean a church. A church should embody the the traits of the church rightly. The great following the Great Commission, the teachings of the apostles, all that. But um, yeah, we're talking about the church. What we're talking about today. Yeah. Anyway, so go mm-hmm. ahead. Sorry. Well, that's a good you, distinction. And I think you mentioned many, when you said that word, it reminded me of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, we did all these things in your name. So I'm professing the name of Jesus. And it even mentions supernatural stuff. Right, right. And then he just says, depart from me, I never knew you. So it makes me think sometimes of, A, people who will be surprised by those words themselves, but also B, uh, myself being or us being surprised, wait, so-and-so's not here? Or like, I thought mm. they were in. It makes me think of actually the end of the last battle when Susan's not there. Yeah. When she didn't mm. make it and you're like, oh my goodness, that's, you know. But again, so there's the people who claim the name of Jesus versus, you know, the authentic thing. And and the hard part is you can't, 
you can't tell just based on what they're doing on the outside. Right. And Judas is such a great example. Because we know how the story turns out, we as soon as we read his name, we're like, ooh, bad guy. Mm, right. Like right. in a pine cove skit. But when you think of Jesus at the Last Supper saying, one of you will betray me, it wasn't like everybody goes, oh, well, obviously it's Judas. No, but they were all shocked too. Right. Like they were going like, wait, what? Like they, they had... They, they were clueless. Again, I think John points out at one time later, looking back, when Judas was complaining about the, the perfume that had been poured out for Jesus, and he's right. like, this could have been sold. And John actually puts his parenthetical, mm-hmm. yeah. he actually just loved money. Yeah, he was stealing from the money right. bag. But yeah. again, at the time, everybody was shocked. And I think this is a really interesting thing to think of. Um, when Jesus sends the disciples out two by two, they're out proclaiming the message of the gospel that he of the kingdom that he told them to proclaim. And they all come back and they say, here's what we did. And we cast out demons and you don't get any sense of, well, except Judas, like Mm -hmm. he was dragging his feet or he was, he was in error. It's like, apparently Judas was saying all these right things. And so it's just, I think even a reminder for all of us, how you, someone can be speaking the truth, even if on the inside, they, they don't, don't believe it, it or yep. they're living it hypocritically or whatever. It's still the truth. Like we're judging. Do you know, do you know, okay. So side comment, you're going to hear this said, and I, I respond negatively to it in my head, okay. but I don't ever say anything because I know what people mean and I know what a jerk it's going to make me look like to say it. <laughs> but every time I hear somebody say something, you can't lead where you haven't been. And every time I hear that, I think, sure you can. People do it all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a, People lead people where they've never been all the time. You can't give people what you don't have. Sure you can. People do it all the time. That's called hypocrisy. Now, it's, it may be hypocritical, but it's not. it doesn't change the fact that, of course, there have been con artists who have played a role in people putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That people authentically follow Jesus when they were following somebody who didn't authentically follow Jesus. Yeah. So of course, of course, that's the case. But yeah, that's a, um, that's exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about. And it can be now again. This is this is. Uh, let me comment because I, f- I can imagine someone ask listening and going, okay. So you're saying the people who mistreated me then right. weren't really Christians. Mm. Well, that's convenient. So let me clarify. I'm not saying that the people who mistreated you may have been Christians. Um, not mistreating people is a supposed to for us Christ followers. Is a should for us Christ followers but we are all failures. Um, and so intentionally or unintentionally, it is, it is very plausible, very possible, bordering on universal, if you know many Christians, that you've been hurt by somebody in the name of Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. You better believe I've been hurt by people in the name of Jesus. All, all of us on church staff, we, we've experienced that. So anyway, just a, I don't mean to imply Hey, if you got hurt by somebody in the name of Jesus, they weren't really Christians. No, they right. they may have been, and that's that's still the real thing. And two things I think of there. <clears throat> One is um, when Paul in Galatians two had to confront Peter. Yeah, he actually used the words that Peter and a bunch of the Jews, because of their hypocrisy, were leading people. Even Barnabas got caught up in their hypocrisy. Yep, and he had to get confronted. So. It's just a reminder, like, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you can't get caught up. And I think Peter's motive seemed to be fear of man. 
and and wanting to look Jewish when you know by that he shouldn't be associating with Gentiles. But right, what's interesting then, since we just studied First Peter, is he actually says in chapter two, I think it's chapter two, put away all hypocrisy, and it's it's just that's right. Again, I just love that Peter is. Peter, that he is humble and yep. uh, I think recognizes that. But so that's a reminder even there that even well, I mean, even leaders like Peter got caught up in not really living out the principles of the gospel. But I think it's interesting that and this is what I'd love to discuss too for a second, for some reason when Christians sin, big or small, I think people go, oh, see, you're just a hypocrite when you when you sin, which isn't true necessarily. My, my response has been when I sin, I'm not contradicting the gospel. I'm confirming, confirming the gospel <laughs> that yeah. I need a Savior. Like this is exactly <laughs> why you don't put your trust in me and I don't put my trust in me or anybody it's only in Jesus. So mm-hmm. just because I sin or let you down, it doesn't mean Christianity is false. It just means I I let you down. It has nothing to do with the truth itself, mm-hmm. which goes back to the Christianity being objectively true. Right. And it would be a silly, for example, a really silly line of reasoning if you were to say, why don't you believe in evolution? And I were to say, well, my eighth grade science teacher was a jerk, <laughs> and, he, and he taught evolution. You'd go... Okay, that's not a good reason to not, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly a terrible right. reason to not believe in it. So yeah, there's a lot of people unfortunately that have either been f- fake posers, which is what the word hypocrite literally means, play actor. Right, that's right. Someone who wears a mask. Yeah, you're wearing a mask. That's what they if you're in theater back in the first century, you were called a hypocrite. Um, so you're wearing a mask, but there's people who legitimately are faking, but there's also people who yeah, they blew it. They really fell into sin. So it doesn't mean it's a full and final, like David um, obviously sinned really bad. Yeah, he broke pretty much all 10 within yeah. a few months. Yeah. Of course, biology teachers don't usually claim to follow a nice guy. That's true. A gentle, kind, you know, whatever. <laughs> that, but that was, But you're right, the ad, what the ad hominem, that I don't disagree with a beliefs, a, a truth statement because of the uh, level of jerk that the guy making the statement is. But yeah. it certainly, for us, it certainly plays out um, in the idea of how much does the person's life seem to back yeah. what they're claiming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a fair, it is a fair judgment, if not on the truth claim itself, it is a fair judgment of the person mm-hmm. or of the people and whether they believe it. Yeah. That's a big deal. In fact, when I talk about so much of my confidence in the gospel is the behavior of the original eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. Did they behave as though that was the case? I I used to use the example, you may remember this from way back in Pine Cove days, that um, I would teach the directors. And when I got to this conversation, I would say, imagine if I said, came running into the room and said, oh my gosh, guys, huge storm right behind me. There's a tornado on the ground. It, it can't be more than half a mile behind me and it's coming directly this way and all of you jump up and start going around and then you notice I'm like pouring a cup of coffee uh-huh. like an adding adding in some creamer and stirring it and you'd be like wait wait I thought you said there was a, oh yeah big one huge I mean it's death <laughs> on a stick right there and y'all probably ought to find some shelter 
and I'm just still sitting there chilling, you're not going to buy it. Uh-huh. You're going to mm-hmm. go like, that's, that's okay. Your, your behavior and your claim are not matching at all. Mm-hmm. Um, recently there was that big climate change conference in Glasgow and someone counted 400 private jets that had been flown in oh, for the people to attend it. Well, whether you ex- espouse climate change issues or what, to what degree you espouse them, that's not, that has nothing to do with that whether there's an accurate scientific backing for that. But it does cause you to go, but mm. do they believe it? Right. I mean, he doesn't believe there's a tornado. He's making coffee. Do they believe there's a climate crisis? They're burning tons of fossil fuels to gather together and meet. Again, that doesn't mean it's not accurate. It means they're acting like it's not accurate. Mm. And that's hypocrisy. If I say, listen, the teachings of Jesus are the most important thing, and then I'm dishonest or underhanded or... St- you know, steal or cheat or lie or what? Of course, you'd naturally go, okay, whether I believe it or not, I'm now wondering whether you believe it. Right. That's that's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the tension of, as a believer, kind of ex- not explaining yourself or excusing yourself, but just to go, I really am committed yeah. to Jesus and I want to live for him, but I also really am broken and I mess up all the time. You know what I'm saying? Cause again, I think that's, that's a good way to mm-hmm. say it. Okay. Well, I, mean, and I think that nails it. I think it's also, I mean, I'm also curious for you guys who are on stage often mm-hmm. who, I mean, I know that there's no, that doesn't change you right into a, a magically like, okay, I'm a super Christian, mm-hmm. but people can see you differently. And so how do you, how do you communicate that tactfully and is it is it just that like hey, I I struggle too. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know how you would address that, or if it's like yeah, that's I would say that, and then just move on. But I just think sometimes people can get the wrong idea, and so they put they espouse maybe more of a Messiah mindset to a, a preacher or a pastor, and so their faith is in Jesus, but it's also faith is in the pastor, and so when the they realize oh my goodness, like you were talking about Chris. The oh, women don't have less or fewer ribs than men. <laughs> right. So it's like, oh my goodness, this this pastor who's supposed to be doing this, oh my goodness, right. they fail. Mm-hmm. Now my world is crumbling, right? Because I've put too much. Yes, I don't know. Put their faith in yes. something that wasn't exactly, promised. exactly. That's so. actually when we do talk to marriages, and I know Chris does this a lot too. That I mean, my my message to husbands and wives is: you're you are trusting your spouse to fight the fight, not to be perfect. So whatever our failures are, whatever our flaws are, whatever our character weaknesses are, my wife's counting on me to fight those fights, but she's not counting on me to be perfect. If she is, she might as well divorce me now Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And that's what we've got to be in the church is we're trusting each other to be growing and learning and trying and even striving inspired by Christ to live these things out through the power of his spirit and acknowledging. And I think from on stage is a place for that, acknowledging Mm -hmm. We're flawed failures. I mean, we're, we are d- a dysfunctional family. We don't ever want to present what makes Christians Christians is our lack of sin. Mm-hmm. That, that is a, just a lie. Mm-hmm. It's, right. a, it's a lie. It is not scriptural. It does not. Um, I mean, I can think of maybe one verse that you could take out of context to try to push that idea, but it's, it's just not right. It's not, it's not the way it's taught. It's not what we're taught. It's not the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith isn't that I needed a Savior. It's that I need a Savior, mm-hmm. and I continue to need one. In fact, Rich, okay, here's one of my favorite Rich Mullins quotes. Mm-hmm. 
actually was at this concert when he said this. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people you pass on the way here, on the way there, to the people who will greet you there, that you don't have it all together, that you need their support, you need their direction, you need some accountability, and you need some help. That's, that is a concept of the church that's much more accurate, mm-hmm. I think, than is often treated, that, that we, we need each other, and we, that's, in fact, as we're talking about this idea of what is the role of the church in reconstructing our faith? I think that's an important one, that we, we do need each other as we go through this. We don't need to walk this path alone. And none of this is to try to excuse, like you said, people who have been hurt or you know mm-hmm. abused or whatever. It's still obviously terrible, and you need to deal with it and address it and, and all those things. And uh, it just doesn't mean that Christianity, therefore, is false. Even you think of Demas, who in two different in Colossians and Philemon, Paul affirmed and said, he's a fellow worker with me, he's with Luke, like he's he's up there, he's mentioned. But then at the end of Paul's life, he was like in Demas because he loved the world or in love with this present world, oh, yeah. has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So again, it, Heartbreaking. doing a lot of religious stuff doesn't guarantee that you won't ever turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think some of it too has to do with are you allowing, and this is why in the Sermon on the Mount, it's so vital in chapter 6 when Jesus talks about your own personal prayer life, your own um, giving in mm-hmm. private, your own fasting on your own. Because he, he contrasts the hypocrites with how we should do it, and he just keeps saying they keep doing it to be seen. Right. Like they're doing all of these things. They're loud prayers. They're looking like they're fasting. They're you know, giving you know, extravagantly, all of it is to be seen, and he keeps just going, it, this needs to be between you and the Lord first. And I was, Colson and I were talking earlier about when the Ashley Madison scandal broke in oh 2015, yes. 32 million names were revealed of these men who had signed up for an account with this group that promised you can have an affair and no one will find out. But I read an article um, that the guy basically said, a secret life of prayer will prevent a secret life of sin. We might have talked about this in here. I, I remember you have said that quote before, and we'll link that um, that article. But it reminded me of a J.C. Ryle quote mm-hmm. where he said, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. And so his point is not just praying you won't sin, but it's, it's a vibrant private walk with the Lord mm-hmm. is going to make it really hard for you to also have this deep, hidden sin that you're not addressing or, mm-hmm. or dealing with. And I think that's part of what what is one of the first steps for people even beginning to fall away from their faith. And I, there's a ton of reasons why people feel far from God or deconstructing, but not listening to where your conscience of God prompting you in those little decisions, little yep. compromises, little areas, is what ends up leading to shipwrecking your faith. So in First Timothy... In the first chapter, he talks about that um, we need to fight this fight, the good warfare, um, holding faith and a good conscience. And then he says, when you reject those, it's going to lead to you shipwrecking your faith. He actually says, um, holding faith and a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. So he mentions, he calls these guys out by name. But I think that's the big 
step when when you're not living. If you're really a believer, you've got the Holy Spirit convicting you, and you don't hold to faith in a good conscience, right. and you're not listening to God prompting you in those little areas, and you just suppress it. And it's whether it's the love of money or approval or looking spiritual, whatever it is, you end up shipwrecking your faith. That's the beginning of it, though. You're going to end up shipwrecking your faith if you're not listening to mm. God. You know, God convicting you in little areas <clears throat> eventually. Because anytime I hear of someone, like especially a leader, falling away, yeah. or I just have my prayers like, oh, Lord, that could so be me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, help me. Hold me. <laughs> let, let me be real. I, I want to nip this stuff in the bud now mm-hmm. just because that could happen to any of us. Right. And I do think, so let's talk just for a second on how should you respond to sin by Christians? And then I do mm-hmm. want to turn the corner and go, so what's so great about the church? Why do we need the church and why should we keep mm-hmm. holding on to it? I don't know if you guys remember when Anne Rice, who wrote the Vampire Chronicles, like interview of yeah, the yeah, vampire, yeah. Mm-hmm. she returned to her religious roots, which I think was Catholicism. Catholicism and she yep, made this was. Pro- proclamation, like I'm back. And she even wrote a book about it, yep. about the Jesus in Egypt yep. uh, a story. But then not long Later, I don't remember how much later it was. Then she came out, and I've got this quote. She said, Today I quit being a Christian. I remain committed to Christ, as always, but not to being Christian, in quotes, or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. Wow. So she makes this distinction. I'm committed to Christ, but not Christians. Yep. What do you? How, what's your response to that, Chris? That was actually I was looking in my quote list a minute ago, and one of the uh, quotes, which I, I don't now remember who it was by, but was saying people are joining, people are coming to Christ and leaving the church in droves. Mm. But but the um, I feel like that's what we've seen throughout time is is you are Christian Christians and the gatherings at the church is still a gathering of people, mm-hmm. and it is fundamental Christian doctrine that people are pretty can be pretty horrible mm-hmm. and that we need a, an external savior. So yeah, when I'm talking to, uh, like when I was talking to David Smalley that time and he made some comment about, you know, but Christians can be so mean to people. I was like, dude, I have worked in seven churches. You think I don't know that? Right. Like I will, I will witness in ways you cannot possibly imagine unless you've been physically or sexually abused, which I did not experience either of those in the church, everything else. I think you can experience at the hands of another human. I've experienced in the name of the church. And so I'm, I'm a witness that that doesn't have to drive you away from the church. Um, in fact, my, you know, my motivation was then to see, well, can we create one that's a little more healthy? Can we create a local church that's a little more healthy, that's got a little bit more of it together? And the truth is nothing new about this. A lot of churches are pretty healthy, but they've still got people. Uh, one, of my, one of my questions was, is she justified in her attitude like it is someone who makes the claim of hypocrisy on christians let's use her language on mm-hmm. christians are they justified in making it in saying are there many examples of christians who claim something that isn't true that claim can you judge the church if you mean the gathering of christians not the bride of christ but the gathering of christians as being unmerciful un are lacking in meekness, lacking in mourning, lacking in hungering and thirsting and righteousness, 
which are fundamentally what our rabbi taught that we should do? Mm-hmm. And I would say yes. Are we have are there examples of Christians that who've been judgmental in exactly the ways that Jesus condemned? Do not judge people this way. And yet have we done it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Being unkind, racist, sexist, yes. Yeah, those are those are part of the history and experience of the church, mm-hmm. meaning the gathering of Christians. Has there been sexual sin? Has that sexual sin been covered up, covered up or minimized or lied about or whatever? Yes. Um, have we spent money on things that would not honor God? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a huge one. Was there a defense within some churches, gatherings of Christians to defend slavery or violence or the Crusades or that kind of stuff? Yes. All, all of that's, yeah. I mean, I, it isn't that you cannot justly, rightly level across time, history, and in the present a charge of, but you're not doing what your teacher told you to do. Um, yes, absolutely. Sometimes in good faith and sometimes in bad faith. And that's, that's been the case. And so I, I understand why people would level that charge, why, um, Ann Rice or whatever her real name is, what, why she would, um, why she would say, gosh, I came back to the church and discovered, oh yeah, this is why I didn't like these people. <laughs> right. Like that's, yeah. I used to have a pin that I wore that said some of my best friends are Christians. I don't know why that was funny to me always. But <laughs> like I, I, I put up with them all the time, and you, mm. they put up with me. But so, but is that doctrinally wrong? I mean, it's we're not following Jesus, but part of our doctrine is that we're not going to be good at following Jesus. And so, I don't, I don't know how to call that a. Hip- In some cases, it's hypocrisy. Christians who claim these things aren't true, they're hypocrites. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Christians who say, "Man, I'm, I'm trying, and I'm just, I'm just bad at this stuff." And I, I'm just not good at it, and I forget, and I'm lazy and dismissive, and I'm broken, and I'm hurting too, and I'm whatever. And so, yeah, I miss it. I don't, I don't ask you how you're doing. And you told me last week your child was going to have surgery this week, and I didn't ask you about it the next week. And should I have? Yes. If I was a better Christian, I would have asked you about it. And man, that kind of stuff is all over us. And so I don't know how to answer the question. There is a sense in which, yes, Christians can be radically hypocritical, and yet, part of our doctrine is if there's a sin, we've, we've probably got it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we need to say, so let's come back to what you were saying. It doesn't deny my belief statement. It confirms it, yeah. but that's not an excuse. Right. We, mm-hmm. we do need to be becoming like Christ. We are commanded over and over again to become more like him at the individual level and as a community. Um, I don't feel so like yeah. I see it anymore, but that bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That's exactly right. I used to always hate that because I'm like, if you read that, you could read that to be totally arrogant. Like, well, Christians aren't forgiven. It ain't perfect, yeah. just forgiven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's, so it's a, and on one hand, whoever said it probably meant it, you know, well. Right. I'm not perfect. I am forgiven, but it can come across as, yeah. That's, I like that's what separates us. Yeah. Is not our perfection. Right. It is our forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the the quote from Tim Keller, and again, I don't think I said this in here, but it's running all together. But he said one time, the mistaken belief that a person must clean up his or her own life in order to merit God's presence isn't Christianity. And then he says this: this means though that the church will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. So it's just one of those things where this isn't a, a club this is a hospital like we're all here learning how to become more like jesus and 
mm-hmm. um, we're just all going to have a long way to go. Right. None of us have arrived. Um, and so I guess switching gears then yeah. from, and you said her name was Anne Rice. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Or that was the mm-hmm. quote. So she's saying, I'm going to leave the Christians and the, and not be associated with that. But I'm committed to Christ. Right. And said. so yeah. we were talking beforehand of like, okay, if we're, if we're going to start with the tragedy kind of of the, mm-hmm. the difficulty, the negative, but then we move to the positive side of why we need the church. Yeah. So not just, hey, like speaking directly to that quote then. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not that we're supposed to be separated. It's supposed to, it, we're supposed to lean into that. Yeah. What, what would you talk about that? If, if that's kind of the uptick on this, mm-hmm. this portion of the beauty and the tragedy of the church. Well, I think you do want to find a healthy church. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of unhealthy churches. So you want to find one that in general seems to be dealing with sin seriously and living out the great commission and, you know, serving, you know, loving each other. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that's actually one, one he gives permission for the world to judge whether or not we're his true followers by whether or not we're loving each other. Um, so that's a big one. But I think when, when Anne Rice says, I'm going to be committed to Jesus but not the church, mm-hmm. it would be like someone saying, I really I really like you, Chris, and um, I want to hang out with you. I just can't stand your kids. Your wife. Or your bride. wife. Yeah, your bride. There you go. That's even yeah. better. I, I'd be like, well, here's the deal. <laughs> that, that's going to affect our relationship. Thank you. <laughs> Like that's great, but I, I'm committed right. to my bride, and so you can't have one without the other. Like it's. I agree, and it gives us a place to work out that redemptive work. Mm-hmm. It gives us a place to live that out. The church is a place to learn to love unlovable people, mm-hmm. and to be loved even though we're unlovable, and just recognizing everyone's bad at it. I mean, we're that's. I don't. I don't know another way to say it, but that's that is a great role for the church. And I would say it's not possible to leave the church if you're truly a Christian. If you're mm-hmm. a Christ follower, you are part of the church. You are living independently from a local body. But you can't be, if you're truly a Christ follower, you can't be divided from the church. That's what the church is. Mm-hmm. It, is the, it is the universal combination, whatever, the roll call. Um, yeah. <laughs> when the roll is called up yonder, if right. you're going to be there, you're part of the church. Mm-hmm. That's, Christ is coming for his church. And so I think that's I think that's significant. But again, being dis, being taking a break from the local church. Remember at our I mean at our church we do sabbaticals because we assume the staff needs a break from the <laughs> local church, right? I mean that's every five years you need six weeks to get or four weeks or whatever it is to get away from the local church. Yeah. That's a that's we we are hard on each other, and that's the truth. There's that part where Paul talks about all the things he's been through. Right, and then he says, and on top of that, I've got the church. Now the churches I have to deal <laughs> yeah, with. So exactly. It's like persecutions. He's like, I've had the snake you know, bitten nine times. I've shipwrecked. Been shipwrecked. Yeah. And then he says, on top of that, I've yeah, got the exactly. As if that wasn't bad enough. <laughs> yeah, um, we are a we are a broken bride. We are a dysfunctional family. We are all those things. But but there's. We're still needed. You'd say about any family, about mm-hmm. any friendships. Of course, every friendship is risking being hurt. Um, of course, every family is dysfunctional in different ways. That doesn't mean we don't need each other. When, when God, when God decided it wasn't good that Adam was alone, God did not decide to schedule more time with Adam. What He did was create another human for Adam. Mm-hmm. When Jesus sent the disciples out the apostles out and the 72 of them, 
He didn't say he sent them out without money, without shoes, with all those things, um, without extra of those things. But he said he, they needed to go. They needed the Holy Spirit and they needed each other. Mm-hmm. So he sent them out in twos. And I think I think that's why the writer of Hebrews talks about, man, if you're in the habit of not gathering together, you need to break that habit. It's yep. it's a mm-hmm. we need to be coming together. We do need each other. It's it's a y'all have heard me say this. I actually preached a series. We might even link to it a while uh, a couple of years ago about what the church is. What is the church? Um, I think it was in a January okay. series, but about what the church is, what it means to be us, and and just the recognition that we do need a place. Um, I grew up being challenged. Uh, pastors would say, um, you know, Christianity, the church is not just some holy huddle, but I actually think that's exactly what it is, is a holy huddle. Um, if you imagine a huddle during a football game, the huddle is where the team gets together and they make a plan, and then they go practice that. They go do that plan. They go enact that plan. But during those few seconds, they kind of get to take a breather, right? They're leaning on each other. They're breathing heavy. They're you know, trying to catch a break for just a second. They're encouraging each other. They're making sure they're on the same page. You know, their hair is kind of down at that moment. They're not, you know, they may be saying stuff they wouldn't say in front of the ref. You know, they might be complaining mm-hmm. about it. Man, I, I feel like as Christians we need that, and the church is that. It's a, it's a place where we're supposed to be able to come, which is part of why our attitude here is we try to, if this happens, this is not a sales job for this church, not a work mm-hmm. for our sponsor, but is, man, we, we want sacred, but we also want casual in the um, the things that aren't necessary so that there's not this scrubbed, excuse the, the language of a white man here, but this is what I was raised on, was the idea of being scrubbed pink before going to church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Which means... You look really good. Look really good. Yeah. You got everything put together. You're wearing the right clothes. Your hair is brushed perfect. I, on Sunday morning, there are pictures of me as a kid on Sunday morning that is I never looked like that ever, 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 <laughs> but for Sunday morning. And it was a total fake out. Hey, we've got it all together. Um, Chris, know, did my children know how to behave perfectly in church? And it was all fear-based. I mean, it was all, oh, gosh. Well, if you disobeyed, people would say, don't you know where you are? That's right. And I, it, even the idea that, you know, most kids, I think of, and we naturally just say this, when we're going to church, we think of the building, mm-hmm. but the word ecclesia literally just means gathering. That's right. Like it's a gathering of people. And this is, again, not another shameless plug, but the reason you need to go physically to a place right. is because you can't Zoom, watching church by, you know, Facebook or Zoom or whatever, that's literally not what the word means. Like you're actually gathering together right. with each other. Right. And so step one is you leave your house. Like you've got to be with other believers. And again, yep. you've got other circumstances that are preventing that. But for the most part, you it need to be... It's an inferior. It's an incomplete experience yeah. to do yeah. it that way. Yep. And bring them, into your, bring them into your home or get your home out and go find them, go find other believers and gather with them together. I also feel like, yeah, as and the if you go through the new... Testament, and I don't know if you've ever done this, and find all the one another verses. Oh, yeah. Um, we have it on video uh, somewhere. We could maybe even post that somewhere. Just It's it's just all the one another verses yeah. running run one right behind the other for every, every like three, four seconds, and it takes four minutes to get through all the one another, all the verses that reference one another, forgive one another, love one another, serve one another. Bear, um, bear, bear with, with one, one another. another. Yeah, it's all these things. And so we need one another, if for no other reason, to practice these things. Yep. Like I, I need people, you know, like you guys, who I can pr- 
practice being patient with, with their, that your relationships are such that if I don't do a great job at it, you're going to forgive me for it. Mm-hmm. Partially so that I can be better at being patient with lost people so that, because there's no room, there's less room for error there and less margin for there, for error there. And so we need it to practice. We need to be able to do it, to live it out. So many of the commandments in the New Testament that we get are about how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not all humanity. Um, I think it was Paul uh, on our staff who once pointed out to me the phrase that talks about, as you have, um, it's referencing the, as you have done this for the least of these, um, you've done it for me. But there's a comma splice in there, whatever it is, the, a comma phrase in there that says, as much as you've done it for the least of these, my brothers. And, and probably that doesn't mean the two people I'm referencing. Hey, my brothers, make sure I'm doing it to the least of these. It is the, the, the degree to which you do this for the least of my brothers. You do it for me. And so, of course, it's totally awesome for us to be taking care of some you know, lost people around the world, whatever. That's great. But, but maybe that what Jesus is referencing was my children, the ones who I have saved. That's who you need to be being extra careful with, visiting them in prison, bringing them water when they're thirsty, feeding them when they're hungry. Anyway, I think I mm-hmm. think I think we need one another for that. And if you find a church um, that's not great or that can't fulfill this or that's too unhealthy for your level of health that you can't bring draw them up, then it's a good you know. And I know it's tough for in other parts of the country. And I mean, in Tyler, you could usually walk next door to another church and and try it out. But um, uh, that's another series of articles I wrote not long ago about how and when to switch churches and how and when to find a church. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, that would be a, the, the truth is you're, you're going to be hurt when you get together with Christians. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to get hurt badly and you're going to hurt. Here's the other thing to remember is you're going to hurt other people. And sometimes you're going to hurt them badly. And that's part of why we need each other to live this out. That's not about being a church. That's about being humans. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is you think it, you guys think it's appropriate? I've done this once, um, in the name of my family, which has a, a long history of, um, at least going back, a, a, starting a couple generations ago and going back of racism and slave ownership way back there and Civil War era and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I'd got to do that on a Sunday morning where I said, I think if you know if if Wade Hampton was here and he got to hear me preach. Maybe I'm being prideful, but I'd like to think that he would want to stand up at the end of the sermon and say, I am so sorry. Um, I'm so sorry for how I abused Scripture and misunderstood it and mistaught it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if his heart was in the right place and mm-hmm. he was just ignorant or if he was just a horrible person. That was your relative? Wade okay. Hampton. Okay. Yeah, going way, way back. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, going way back. And, uh, and man, so I, I felt totally comfortable saying, I, I, Wade's not here. He's dead. He's been dead for a long time. So I want to apologize for that. At least the Hampton family and the Leg family and the Finney family and the going back several generations and saying, I am so sorry for my own racist tendencies and thoughts and and theirs. And I don't know if it'd be helpful to anybody to hear it, but, man, is, I, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, which I, I know that's hilarious to people who know me well, but mm. I'm I'm like... And I am so sorry for the pain that people out there have received in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I wish there was something we could do to take that away. And if there is something we can do to help redeem that, we would love to help do that. Um, but it, it is it is true that people are hurt badly all the time with the church and from Christians. 
And so we don't ever, we aren't minimizing that. Right. And we're, I am very sorry that you've experienced that kind of pain in that way. And, uh, I promise it isn't, well, I can't know that, I guess, but given what you've experienced, uh, I feel comfortable saying it probably wasn't what Jesus wanted for you. Jesus is not afraid for us to suffer and he's not afraid for us to hurt, but usually it's not going to be the way that other people hurt us. So if somebody is listening to this or knows somebody who has been hurt, and like serious hurt, like abuse, what, like, how would you kind of give them next steps? Especially if they've been like, you know what, I'm not going back to church. I'm assuming you would be like, maybe don't go back to the same church. Right. But what would be some, because you were saying, I mean, one step is acknowledging, hey, that this is a legitimate thing. And Jesus probably didn't want this for, for you right. or for his church. What are what's something else that that we could encourage people with? Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was, don't use that as an excuse to not go to church or to not consider Christianity as true. And I think some people do that, like, well, that's why I've rejected it because of all. And you just kind of go, well, but it's. We're acknowledging there there are people mm-hmm. who claim the name of Jesus, but it doesn't mean that they're they're legitimate. There's, <clears throat> I think it's in First John four, I think, where he says they went out from us, they left the church basically, but that was actually proof that they were never really part of us. Mm. Um. Anyway, so it just just because again they're claiming the name doesn't mean that they're really believers. But so my my first advice really is don't let that be your excuse for not going because, well, it's not perfect. And it's like, well, that we're not ever claiming that we're perfect. At least we're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus is perfect. But I think in defense of the church and how wonderful it is, God chose to use the church and to assign the, the commission, the great commission to go out to all the world through the church. And so um, that's the right avenue that if you're a believer in Jesus, you should be seeking that fellowship because you have a gift to give. It's been given to you. That's not for you. And this is why here at, at our church, our big thing is that every member is a minister. Like you're, we're expecting you to be here. The only reason you would join is because you're either going to teach or serve. Right. And so you're not just looking for a place to go where I feel entertained or affirmed or I had a good time or it's like more like a show, but it's I'm here plugging in to use the gift that God has given me for a reason to build up his church and to, you know, minister to the lost. And so, again, I think you, t- testing your own motives, it's like I shared before when I had students that were, you know, going off saying, oh, I'm going to go try to discover truth, and and it's like they're going to consider everything but Christianity, which, again, I'm just glad they were going to really confirm or affirm their own, you know, beliefs. What do you really believe? That's great. But my warning was always, are you actually looking for the truth or just the philosophy that lets you live like you want. So right. if you're looking for excuses to not embrace Christianity, well, there's always going to be people who are going to let you down. Right. Um, but the church itself, this is why I love um, just looking historically at all the things that, that the church has done as far as impacting the world and during plagues, going in and ministering to the sick. And um, 
you know, I just love Amy Carmichael's story of going to live in India as a missionary for 55 years without furlough to rescue girls who are basically in, in being right. enslaved, right. part of prostitution, temple prostitution. Um, like you don't, that's not motivated by anything other than God has changed my heart and I'm willing to risk everything for him. So there's so many amazing things that the church has done and is doing. Oh my gosh. Yes. Samaritan's purse coming in when there's a tragedy or a, you know, natural disaster. So again, it's, there's, it's, it's awesome when God's people are really on mission together to see what they do. And there's always going to be people who are posers or just fallen, broken people. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean you should therefore throw out the church. Gosh, I've, I've actually said before, I'm, I'm willing to accept this as a, uh, like as a challenge, but I feel like if you go anywhere in the world where people are suffering, there are already people there ministering to them in the name of Jesus. Yeah. And, and uh, you're going to have a hard time finding a new place mm-hmm. that, that there aren't already Christians. And many, t- many times serving to the point of death. Um, total life change. Their life will be totally different because they chose to serve these people or they're all the way to the point of death. And so you're right. We don't ever want to undermine the significance and power of the church at the local level and at the cosmic level. Um, millions, maybe billions upon billions of people have been served and loved. I, well, I, you're, you know, we're about the same age, uh, Chris. And so I grew up, remember when at a Rich Mullins concert, having Rich Mullins say, you know, 40,000 children a day are starving to death. And, you know, you could take on one kid for the prices and video games every month or whatever. And and so I did at 19, took on my first compassion child. Well, hearing them when they came here not that long ago, and they say, you know, fifteen to 20,000 children a day starve to death. Now, the population has doubled worldwide since I was that age. Mm-hmm. And yet they're saying that. Yeah. And so it's half the number. Why? It's because of ministries like Compassion and World Vision and and others that are feeding and and educating and taking care of these kids all around the world, and all of that comes from the pockets of Christians, yep. in addition to their tax dollars, in addition to their all that stuff. And so, I don't I don't ever want to minimize. I love being a part of the church. Mine was uh, a uh, Petra concert. Petra concert. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Wow. That was so great. But I again, you might have to. You know who Petra is. Mm-hmm. Colson, okay. Every, almost all of their albums, for <laughs> sure, had a song that was about that you know, hungry eyes mm-hmm. or um, not hungry eyes. That's a hungry eyes different. <laughs> um, I know <laughs> what you're movie. talking about. Um, anyways, but yeah, that's when I first heard about Compassion, where I was like, "What is um, you know, what is this all about?" And yeah, interesting statistic: when we were in um, El Salvador, the um, the lady that we were working with, um, Hollow Eyes. Hollow Eyes. <laughs> I just, I just pulled it up. Eyes? No, I, you said Petra, and I'm like, that, that was, I, in like the fourth grade, we did he like an interpret. Was. No, no, <laughs> we did, we did a interpretive dance to the color song. song. To the coloring yeah, of course song. You did, <laughs> to the color song. Wow, that's Blue fun. Is the color right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I did not mean to lead us down that. That's Anyways, a great song. But oh, man. in El Salvador, um, the lady that we were dealing with for the ministry that was going on, um, her husband worked for Compassion. And he had grown up, he and his brother were sponsored, and that got them through, I think, even college. And it was really cool. But what 
in El Salvador, there is terrible um, gang presence. Mm. Like a whole lot of like, you have to pay us to safely pass through this area or we're going to, you know, harm you or kill you or whatever. But the leader of Compassion International in El Salvador, the, the, the head of one of the biggest gangs there wanted to meet with him. Mm. And so they arranged this meeting and he, they had to sit back to back. And he said, we, um, we don't want you actually to, for your own safety to be able to see me so that you just for your own safety. It was, but this is what's crazy. The head of the gangs there said to the compassion guy, we want you to keep doing what you're, what you're doing. In fact, we're going to protect you because a lot of their gang members, when they're in prison, it's the, it's the, the Ministry of Compassion International that's ministering to their children while they're oh, in wow. prison. And they, he actually said, we don't want our kids to grow up and be like us. Right. And so, which is part of the hypocrisy thing we're talking there about. There you go. There you go. But I thought that was so fascinating how God would even use a, uh, something like a gang lord to protect Compassion International but again, it's the fruit and the presence of what they're doing there that's convincing them, like, yep. you've got something. And uh, I just thought that was so amazing Wow, of God using that. So That's really Absolutely. cool. Man, and by the way, is, is, if this is going to be down, you know, if you're listening to this and it's pretty close to holidays, I think it's coming out during holidays time. Man, just, may, we may even need to do another one focused entirely on how do you talk to your family members about these issues? How do you mm-hmm. deal with it on that? So I'll leave it to that. But in case you don't get to hear that one, the, one of the magic keys is to listen a lot. Listen, 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 listen more than you talk. Understand where they're coming from. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.